Tonight's guest is Namami Mondal. She's a designer from Kolkata, India, with an in-depth knowledge of textiles. She has a fashion MBA from the prestigious London College of Fashion. She's also attended the world-renowned National Institute of Fashion Technology in India. Namami has worked with the likes of the world-famous designer Sabia Sashi Mukherjee, not to mention other top brands and designers. She has a particular interest in traditional textiles, sustainability, and the business of fashion. She's incredibly socially active, and she's also a licensed Zumba instructor. In this episode, we discuss everything from the psychology behind obsessive consumption, repurposing your clothes during lockdown, the sharing economy, and the detrimental effects of fast fashion. Buckle up, because I think you'll learn a thing or two from Namami. How would you define fast fashion? Well, fast fashion could be defined as a phenomenon where um, everything regarding designing a garment to productioning all its cycle happens in a very, very short amount of time. And uh, it's a term that's coined by fashion retailers, people in the fashion business, uh, where um, it, the fashion cycle is now you know, beating the traditional uh, biannual uh, mode of showcase. And it's becoming quick. It's becoming very fast from, uh, you know, design concept to execution. So that is fast fashion. And also it leads to extremely fast consumption of fashion by the consumers. And, you know, I was reading a blog of yours and I'm just thinking, what's, what's the problem with fast fashion for those who are a bit ignorant to it? Well, uh, Generally speaking, uh, any business which has a demand and a healthy balance of demand and supply um, is good, right? But in case of uh, fast fashion, there is more uh, supply than demand and people are consuming more uh, instead of appreciating what they have existing in their wardrobes. So essentially, it's detrimental to not only the environment, but also um, the sustainability goes for a toss when there are so many uh, people in production factories working at low wage labors in sweatshop like conditions, catering to this fast consumption market. So that is where um, I object to fast fashion. And I believe that it is not a good practice. There's definitely a lot of hypocrisy um, around mm. it. And um, it's, it's interesting. I think that we're having a similar debate around food, strangely, oh. um, where there's this disconnect between how we receive our food and this kind of neatly packaged, particularly when it comes to meat uh, display, mm -hmm. and then how animals are treated uh, industrial farming practices, all of those things. Um, I, you, you're, I really enjoyed your article, which I'll put the link to in the, in the show notes below, but you've got this great quote where you say, it is this vicious cycle of mindless purchase, consumption and discard, which has fueled the fast fashion phenomenon. Uh, what's the psychology behind the obsessive consumption? The psychology is mostly about self-image and self-worth. Mm. Uh, why do we buy what we buy? 
why do we consume what we choose to consume and there's always that difference between uh, need want and demand that we learn as a basics in economics um, so i think the psychology is about wanting to present your best self uh, not only according to the worth in your head but also how your significant other views you how your uh, colleagues at work may view you so that is why there's always that need to uh, impress mm. uh, they say clothes make it a man so i guess most people want to buy brands adore brands wear clothes that um, in which they feel that they are more accepted in their immediate societies so i think uh, fast consumption stems from that very need to impress yourself and people around you have you seen the movie fight club no it's, it's, no, no, don't feel bad about it. I know of the I know of the famous sports and everything, but I have not seen it. It's, it's, no. There's scenes from it that are worth watching. So I'm sure you've heard of the quote: um, "We we buy we buy shit that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't like." Um, yes. And I think it's interesting. Clothes really are a form of curating ourselves physically in front of one another. Absolutely. Social media is another form virtually. I'm just interested. Okay from the few times that I've met you, you were always dressed incredibly well. I remember celebrating Diwali with you and, <laughs> you know, you were dressed very well there as well. H has this been something you've struggled with? Um, and, and if so, what have been some tools or tactics you've used to get around it? Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, I often think about my pre-London journey and my post-London journey uh, in terms of my consumption style. Uh, so hailing from India, uh, from a very uh, middle class background, we've always valued uh, the things that we've purchased for ourselves, made be clothes, books, etc. And uh, my father, my grandfather, they've always made us very conscious about whether you really need something before buying it. In terms of fashion, uh, I have always um, maintained that I purchase things that I need for a new occasion and that could be maybe for new year for my birthday that's like twice a year etc unfortunately as I started uh, earning well fortunately or unfortunately <laughs> uh, with, the, <laughs> with uh, the increased amount of disposable income uh, I felt like Wonder Woman and I splurged a lot on purchasing clothes that I didn't really need but Maybe I told myself that I needed it in order to present myself well in front of my fashion colleagues and my very famous uh, fashion designer boss, etc. So I did do a lot of mindless consumption uh, during a span of a year or two uh, when I was working. But as I went to London and, um, you know, London College of Fashion really, really uh, adores sustainability and projects it as a cause that they truly believe in. Uh, and it made me realize that fast fashion is something that we should ditch and we should focus on reutilizing and completely overutilizing the garments that we have. So with that sustainability, pro-sustainability um, conscious mindset, uh, I have tried to imbibe it uh, into my daily life across the past year and year or two. So every time that you've seen me in Diwali, um, I have worn a lot of saris. You've seen me in a lot of traditional clothes, uh, which I have uh, consciously, um, you know, packed from home and brought them with me. Uh, 
definitely because of the emotional value, because of my passion for the magical six yard of fabric, but also because I believe in um, reusing them and just styling them differently. So we have lots of occasions to, you know, wear new clothes and dress pretty. But the challenge of a true designer is how you can utilize the existing um, fabric, the existing garment, and stylize it in different ways to come up with a different look every time. One of my questions was going to be to, you know, how has growing up in India influenced and shaped your attitude towards sort of resourcefulness and fast fashion in general? But I'll go to a quote that you... um, that you uh, that you wrote on your blog and he said hailing from a typical indian household the concept of extending a product's life cycle by recycling has been imbibed since childhood um, i have grown up hearing my grandmother's tales of rural bengal's traditional em- embroidery where housewives would transform their old tattered cotton saris into beautiful bags pillow covers and a variety of other utilitarian items using intricate single stitch hand embroidery techniques that's beautiful that's a beautiful image what was it like in that period specifically in that period that you describe Uh, what did you see what do you what did you think as a child when you're going through that and when you had your slightly um you know i don't know how to describe i guess um you had a phase in london where you where you spent a bit more and you you kind of thought right the money's coming in let me buy all these things how did that contrast with your with you, th- those fond memories you held uh, in India? So I'll just start with the entire practice of uh, seeing Katha as a child. Uh, my grandmom, both both my maternal and my paternal grandmom, um, they believed in uh, recycling old yardage fabrics and turning them into um, pieces of clothing, into pieces of uh, homeware, etc. So there's this typical embroidery called Katha embroidery, which is very, very, um, it's an indigenous embroidery from the rural villages of Bengal. Uh, as I have mentioned, that they use single stitch um, techniques to beautifully carve daily life images on them. Wow. And currently, Katha is a very, very uh, precious textile that is adopted by quite a few Indian designers and um, showcased at the international platform. Uh, so essentially the idea was to use old fabrics, layer them and stitch them together to create different utilitarian items. Uh, until date, I see my grandmom, uh, you know, raising an eyebrow every time they see that I'm discarding like an old top or throwing away an old bag. And she would just say, don't throw it away or just, just give it to me and I will redesign them. And then you can give it to charity if you are done using it. Mm. which is a very good reminder that we are lucky to have what we have. Uh, So as a child, I have grown up uh, seeing my grandparents and my family being very conscious about what we use and what we throw away. Uh, As I said, uh, just my phase before London, uh, when I was working, uh, I happened to uh, purchase quite a few items without necessarily needing it. But now that I'm back home and I have six months in hand, uh, like since January end, uh, we have the lockdown in India, right? So it's almost like four and a half months now. And uh, I have consciously taken out all those old clothes and started re-embroidering them. Mm. And what was the need? Well, it was my way of respecting my grandparents' choices of uh, utilizing uh, and recycling. 
And I just realized that that is the need of the hour. We don't need to consume more. We don't need to buy clothes per se from, you know, fashion brands, etc. Whereas we can be at home and just uh, make good use of what we have. So, yeah, it's been a good learning curve that way. That's amazing. I, I really like your, your, your outlook on things. I think it's very refreshing because, you know, one thing I've realized from sort of volunteering with charities and even visiting charity shops, the sheer amount of donations they get, but they're all in bad condition. And yeah. so what people have done is they've thought, right, I don't know what to do with my clothes. Uh, I'm going to go through this decluttering process they're conscious enough not to simply throw it in the bin and, I, and i'm guilty of this as well so what they'll do is they'll have a charity bag at home they'll stuff a bunch of clothes in the charity bag usually i try and put clothes of good condition but still it, it's kind of a dump mindset but just in the, for kind of i i'd like to call it philanthropic dumping you just kind of fill <laughs> your bag and chuck yeah. it to St. luke's hospice or whatever i guess you know what are some practical tips for people during lockdown, um, what do you recommend? So say you have someone with a lot of clothes or maybe someone with not that many clothes. How do they begin to sort of practically sort through what they have and maybe repurpose some of it? Interestingly, I was just reading this article by Ellen MacArthur Foundation uh, where they focused on UK as well. And this mm -hmm. was also a part of UK's uh, research uh, government um, portfolio. And they said that over 300,000 tons of garments annually uh, landed in, the in their household dustbins and less than 1% was being utilized. So definitely, um, it's a lot of wastage in terms of garments ending up in the landfill. Um, so owing to the luxury of time that one has during the lockdown, I think we should completely go through everything that we have in our wardrobes and sort them first. And the sorting process should mostly be in terms of priority and season for me, uh, because I'm in India and India is a very um, tropical, uh, temperate tropical climate. So we have very distinct seasons. Uh, so currently it's mostly cottons and light, um, not as much synthetic clothes that I choose to wear. So I think for anyone who's at home, they should uh, sort clothes out based on their occasion, the need of the hour and uh, everything that they do not need they can again uh, resort it and see whether it's something that they should throw it or maybe they can repurpose it instead of just throwing it in the bin. Uh, now, what is repurposing and is it really upcycling? So there's a very uh, thin line between recycling and upcycling. And there's a lot of debate as to recycle. I mean, does recycling something necessarily mean it's sustainable? Well, not really, for example, uh, you have um, a lot of plastic bottles, right? And this, there's this new uh, practice of converting uh, pet bottles into polyester chips and then turning them into recycled polyester. And then there are these companies that advertise how they are converting uh, ocean pollutants, such as plastic bottles and plastic bags, into recycled garments. Mm. But in the long term, when you're washing these garments, uh, smaller uh, micro pieces of plastics is uh, getting eliminated into, getting introduced into the washing cycle and ending up in the ocean again in forms of microfibers, which is being consumed by marine life and is disrupting the balance. So 
I think awareness is very important and we should all look into it now that we have the time during lockdown. Just think about our consumption practices. So it's not only sorting, but also making a choice to, you know, uh, utilize cotton or non-synthetic fibers as opposed to synthetic fibers because the long-term implication of synthetic fibers is more harmful. Mm. And then, of course, with the existing stuff, you can always embroider them, applique them, stylize them differently and, uh, you know, just do different things with them. There are so many creative ideas that one can find online. I'm, I'm planning to write an article um, also on how to restyle what we have, our existing outfits, to turn them into like completely different patterns. Please do. I, I've watched uh, a few sort of YouTube tutorials of people um, either tailoring themselves their own uh, garments that are maybe too big or they've lost weight or so on. And um, then also people sort of repurposing things. For the average person, maybe not the average person, but someone who's not um, savvy with textiles or sewing um, or anything of that nature. Um, say, t I take myself. I did, I did a basic textiles at school and I've, I've pretty much forgotten. What can I do today or tomorrow? And I know the internet is a big place to mm -hmm. get better at let's say sewing or stitching or understanding more about that world what are some tactics or some resources or some things or exercises worth trying okay uh well definitely i know that you are conscious about the current problem which is a good uh, start so yeah. you're aware of the issue of uh, overconsumption. now as regards stitching and sewing that requires very uh, very uh, specific skill of doing it so if you're not used to it maybe you can ask a friend or someone who is who has undertaken the project of transforming old clothes you can definitely uh, give them to charity but the problem is uh, with charity most of the outfits uh, they even get shipped to developing countries so in terms of resources for these do-it-yourself projects that you have different books you have links online I think what we can do is we, you can dye your clothes, use organic dyes, vegetable dyes to dye your uh, outfits in a different color combination so that you can just give it a different feel. So if you have a white shirt and you want to do tie dye at home as a home project, you can do that. Uh, if you have denims which, you, which needs alterations and you have a bit of you know, uh, excess denim fabric, you can use them and make them into pouches and things like that. So a lot of crafting techniques can be applied mm. but in terms of menswear uh, because there are they are more shirts and they are very um, specifically paneled i think someone with the expertise of how to extract the maximum amount of fabric from that garment for repurposing it needs to have some specific um, skill mm, of course so i think you can you can always either try it from resources online or ask a friend you can ask me later and I can maybe give like you like that. a detailed pattern cutting, <laughs> <laughs> pattern cutting tutorial or something. I'm also curious, you know, one thing that's, that struck me is you've got very, and I don't know if this is to do with the fashion MBA, but you've got a very um, business focused lens. You're a very artistic person and you're obviously clearly very talented. And so the creativity side is there. 
But just in conversing with you, you've got a very good understanding of economics, or at least you, you frame things in that way. Uh, and that seems to me a, a unique um, way of discussing things for someone who's in the field you're in. Um, Thank you so much. You know, I have friends that are creative, not necessarily fashion designers, but they do other things. Yeah. But they don't have that way of conceptualizing things. Where did that come from? Um, well, I think I've always been a very uh, curious and observant child. Mm. And I've always asked a lot of questions to the point of annoying people also. But I just believe that learning can happen from any source and every source whatsoever. Uh, considering uh, that you mentioned the economics thing, um, I did study economics in school. Um, yeah. So the fact that I chose fashion over um, the so-called cliched lines of um, doctor or engineer as Indian parents want their children to be was quite a, quite a revolting thought at home. And I'm, and I'm glad that my parents supported me to choose fashion uh, over science or law, etc. How did you navigate so, that? Oh, it was quite, um, <laughs> it was quite tumultuous actually. I sat for all the exams because my parents are wanting me to sit for all the exams. I cleared most of the exams, uh, but I just did not uh, follow them through because I knew if I would follow through my um, science or engineering degrees and sit for their second round of exams, I would get selected. So I just stuck to uh, my fashion choice and it took me quite a few months of convincing. Uh, so definitely, and I, and I tried getting good grades in class and everything just to tell my parents that you know, I'm doing the right thing. Mm. Uh, because the time I chose to do fashion uh, in the Indian middle class scenario, it was not as, um, as popular an idea that it is now. And uh, no one in my family has done fashion. So I think they love it that I'm trying something new but they're also scared whether I would be successful in it. They don't know how they can contribute. So those uncertainties lie. And I think those were the reasons why I decided to be better at what I am today, because I knew that I had to prove a point to my parents and show them that I'm good at what I am. And apart from that, it's just a holistic approach to everything in life, really. And one very important thing that I learned in uh, college was uh, in order to be a good designer, you don't necessarily have to be the best artist or you don't necessarily have to be the most, um, you know, picky of a businessman or very shrewd businessman. It needs to be a balance of both. You need to be able to create and also do marketing and also do self-branding and also sell your stuff. So I think it's just, uh, everything's just a combination of what I've learned for the past few years across my college, my three years of design work and definitely my lcfm how do you um develop those different skill sets so let's say you've um you know i i'm guessing you never quite fully nail anything in terms of the creative side you can always get better at um stitching Absolutely. you can always get better at color coordination you can always get better at sourcing fabrics but in in turn it let's just say there comes a point where you're like right i'm i'm for now, I'm happy, I'm proficient in this skill, this creative skill. In terms of the so-called business side of things, how did you go about developing your branding skills, your marketing skills? Well, uh, before I did this MBA, because the MBA was a very conscious choice of meddling into fashion business as a course of study, 
I'm always curious. I'm never really content. So I'm always trying to upgrade my skill set. It was three years into my uh, work experience uh, as a senior associate in production. So what production does to you is that you not only have to be very good at design, but you also have to be very good at people management to convince um, tailors, masters, dyers, pattern makers, printers. You're dealing with more than 50 people a day every day in order to meet your uh, target, which is an exquisite luxury garment for a so-and-so celebrity. Uh, and when I say celebrity, it means that you have very, very little uh, lead time to make a mistake. So you have to be very good at what you do. So I would definitely, um, you know, give the credit to my workplace uh, and for all the skills that I've learned at Sabrisachi Couture in uh, transcending into a proper management production coordinator along with being a designer. Mm. So NIFT itself is uh, one of India's best, it is not one of India's best, it is India's uh, best school uh, of design. They have around 15 campuses in the entire country. So, I mean, um, to be able uh, to be selected in one of those colleges says something about your uh, credibility as a designer and then they hone it, you hone it while uh, studying it. So, yeah, it just happened. I've never really, interesting, like now that I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about it. But I've never quite consciously thought that I should learn this and I'm not, I shouldn't learn that. I have just, um, whatever task has been given to me in life, at whichever stage, I've just given my 100% into it. And the moment I try giving 100% to something, I need to think about everything about it. From the secondary research, to the primary execution, to how it's going to look on paper, to how it's going to look on my presentation, to how I should speak to my faculty. So it's just been a holistic approach to it for, I mean, since as a child. So never really quite uh, dissected it into segments to understand the process. I, I actually really like that insight. You may think it's simple, but it's one thing to, to give your role and to give 100%, which many people speak about. But it's another thing to see the value add of doing so is not only reputational, but it kind of yeah. it, it challenges you to, to, to develop skills or I, you know, stack other skills onto the core skill you're developing. Uh, not that long ago, I watched a documentary with a journalist or slash presenter documentary filmmaker called Stacey Dooley. And it was all about fast fashion. And there was one um, scene I remember from that documentary in Kazakhstan. And they used to have the largest inland sea in the world called Arsa, mm -hmm. 68,000 mm -hmm. kilometers squared. And that has vastly shrunk um, because of cotton and how intensive right. it is to produce. It's cotton. very water intensive, yeah. What do you think the, the sort of future landscape looks like for producing our clothes now that we're becoming more conscious? And let's say as there's more demand for sustainably sourced clothing, businesses have to kind of change their supply chains and they've, they've got to meet that demand. What do you think the future looks like? How, in terms of producing clothes, are we going to use more synthetic fabrics? Are we going to find more efficient ways of growing that cotton? I mean, what do you see coming down the hill? Well, first and foremost, I see a lot of awareness in almost all kind of uh, fashion producing companies across different sectors, whether it's high street, whether it's couture. Uh, this did not exist until quite recently. 
you will see even like five years ago to now, uh, many, many companies are making it a point to mention that the post-sustainability development is a part of their company CSR policies, et cetera, because now the consumer has also become very, very sustainable uh, minded and very environment conscious and they want to be associated with brands, um, you know, who do not necessarily contribute uh, negatively to the earth's wasted cycle, et cetera. Now, uh, what I foresee in the future are going to be two major changes. Uh, one would be the focus on um, using existing garments to recycle them into new products. And that recycling can happen at the yarn stage. It can happen at the fiber stage. It can happen at wholesome, full pieces of panel being crafted into new uh, clothes stage. Mm -hmm. uh, Patagonia as a brand uh, is doing a great job, has been doing a great job for quite a few long, for quite a long time uh, in repurposing or reusing yarns from recycled garments and then spinning them into making fabrics for their new collections. So more of that uh, ideology will be adopted. A recent example being Adidas and uh, Nike both um, using recycled polyester in their shoe soles and uh, they're selling them. Now, as I said, how much of it is going to be sustainable in the long run owing to the microfiber pollution problem? We still do not know, but they're definitely taking a stance and they're trying to utilize uh, the existing uh, plastic and, you know, turn them into a sustainable solution for their new product line. Uh, the second major change is the disruptive innovation in terms of um, fabric manufacturing. Uh, new fabrics are being uh, made, they are being lab grown, such as um, this, this fabric called uh, Vega, which is basically mushroom leather, leather, you know, lab grown from mushroom tissues. Then there is Spinatex, which is a fabric from pineapple um, fibers. Uh, hemp is being used a lot across different product categories. Hemp is uh, said to be less water uh, intensive than cotton as a crop. Mm. Organic cotton itself is actually a take on cotton's uh, water exhaustive properties. And they say that organic cotton consumes less water in producing it. So one of the commercial successes of this would be H&M's Conscious Collection uh, 2020, which they released. And uh, they have incorporated Renu, brands like Renu, Vega. And these are all um, quite uh, disruptive in terms of um, fabric. Like They're all recycled. So I think the changes will be in terms of recycling and repurposing on one end. And on the other end, it would be... Um, you know, coming up with new fabrics which are disruptive in technology, they consume less water, they're easy to produce, and they have a greener impact on the environment. So, I mean, there are multiple changes that one can do at the customer level and, you know, supply chain level as well. What do you think those changes are? At the production level, it would be uh, alleviating the problems that a production house, uh, that people in our production house, um, you know, deal with on a daily basis, uh, whether that is to not have proper wages being paid or working overtime. And these all actually influence the, they all contribute to the non-sustainability factor of the fashion uh, industry, right? So it's not a good thing. So I think brands will at least try to be more clear and they will be more, uh, with the blockchain and everything in place, they would try to be more clear about their uh, supply chain. 
so there are a lot of um, companies who are trying to tell to the customer that this is how uh, my production cycle is and this is where it's been made this is the name of the tailor who you know stitched your garment so uh, there would be a lot of awareness uh, in terms of um, not only from the end of the company or the brand or the manufacturer but also consumers would demand it before buying it mm. so there would be a very conscious uh, and positive change towards purchasing fabrics which are sustainable sustainable not only in terms of environmental impact but also in terms of labor land etc do you think i mean one one interesting trend i've seen uh yeah. two actually one is uh this sort of the sharing economy so people oh, ask me about it ask me yeah. <laughs> i definitely will. i did my masters no i did my masters thesis on the rental economy right so let oh. me ask you a question <laughs> let me set it up for for the yeah. ladies like myself and then you can give your expert opinion <laughs> by that i mean you know this that in my view comes in two forms one um people are using sites like shopify etsy even ebay to some extent to sell their existing clothes to other people um and people are in my view a bit more comfortable about, about buying clothes that have maybe been worn once or twice or even more than that than buying something at triple the price brand new from the store and then the second and i've personally done this myself is renting physically renting from store so a tuxedo would be an example i remember i had a very fancy christmas dinner to go to for for um for a place i was working at and i didn't want to go out and buy a tuxedo so i rented one for significantly cheaper and also i thought to myself i'm not going to ever wear this again you know in your expert opinion what do you see in terms of the sharing economy and renting specifically um trust me that's one topic that's going on in my mind very predominantly and uh, that's why i just kind of busted out at the at the topic <laughs> to, uh, if you're mentioning it uh it's just that i have been a great believer in um the sharing economy mm. until uh covid-19 crisis happened so much so that i even uh, focused my master's thesis on the rental economy and i wanted to know whether the millennial women in uk were interested in uh renting clothes for workwear on a daily basis as opposed to just luxury rental which already exists and it's justified that you don't want to spend uh, so much money on wearing something very heavily embroidered or very fancy for the audience now i think rental economy has been successful uh, in some parts uh, of the world brands such as rent and runway in america uh, has been the pioneer for rental economy uh, businesses uh, and in uk also there are quite a few companies such as hall collective etc uh, who have tried to adopt this and they're doing quite well but the thing is with the covid-19 crisis and everyone trying to maintain social distance the question is how much would somebody want to uh, wear someone else's used clothes mm. uh, despite uh, having proper communication about its uh, cleanliness and despite the companies spreading the awareness that it um, you know all um, cleanliness uh, standards have been met how the consumer the average consumer would uh, accept it is something that we get to find out because i think 2008 2009 uh, gave um, you know gave an opportunity for businesses such as uber and other sharing economy in fields of automobile etc uh, and it became a success then but now with everyone consciously trying to maintain a social distance will the sharing economy be actually as relevant 
not only in terms of clothing but also in terms of automobiles etc so i think that's, that's, that's a huge topic in itself what is the impact of covid-19 or global pandemic yeah. in general um on the sharing economy it that is that is that could be the question of the day um that is a really good question i'd just like to end with two questions number 1 if you could write any message on a billboard to be viewed by millions of people what would that message say and why well um for now i think this is quite befitting uh, and it would be a question to everyone um how much are you willing to give up in order to save mother nature that's very interesting i like <laughs> the fact that you've included a question because but when you pose a question people maintain their own their own sense of autonomy especially people who are quite stubborn Absolutely. and it forces them Absolutely. to think last question many years from now you're surrounded by friends and family it's your last day on earth you've achieved everything you want to achieve but for some reason it has all been destroyed you can only leave the world with three truths three things you know to be true about this life what three truths would you leave and why many years from now you are you've achieved everything you've wanted to you've designed for the best and the brightest mm-hmm. you're surrounded by your family and it's your last day on earth and for whatever reason all the books you've written all the the, the theses you've written all the the dresses you've designed have unfortunately been destroyed for whatever reason and you can only leave the world with three truths three things that you know to be true uh, about this life um from everything you've experienced so far what three truths would you leave and why well the why would be because they are truths that i have experienced in my life and i completely believe in okay uh that would be like the generic um, yeah bracket um so the first truth would be that honesty is the best policy second truth would be be truthful to yourself and continue being on the path that you set for yourself which is you know with passion with i mean just continue to be on the path that you feel is your is it's where your passion takes you so despite uh, others trying to sway you away from your goals the ones that you've set for yourself and you believe in continue to be on that journey even though the times may be tough uh, and rough but they will lead you to the bigger picture which is what you have dreamt of and um, i think the third would be hard work is the solution to most of your problems you just have to work hard and keep at it perseverance and hard work are the two main things to success that leads to success yeah can you elaborate on that last one because i think a lot of people will be thinking i work hard and i still have issues can you can you kind of push uh, definitely uh, so in everyone's lives challenges come right and it is uh it is human nature to try um um you know just ignore the problem it is human nature unfortunately to just solve it as fast as possible or just you know ignore the problem go to an alternate solution which we think is the correct solution but it may not be so in this case perseverance and hard work is very very important because the only way 
to overcome a problem is to actually deal with it yes and to you know put yourself into the storm and you can you can then walk through it you know because no matter how much we think that it's a problem that can get solved or I'll uh, look for other alternatives it won't be solved until i've actually challenged it i do i or faced it and you know sorted it and put my and just know that you've put your 100% in it. because you will just know like there are times when we uh, are successful at something and everyone's applauding you and everyone thinks you're this big hero but in the recesses of your heart you know whether you've given your 100% or not namami that is a beautiful expression thank you for listening to this episode with namami mondal on fast fashion um if you enjoyed this episode please take a screenshot share it on instagram tweet it share it with your friends message me write to me or write to namami everything we've discussed is in the show notes below until next time keep thinking keep inspiring and keep innovating